RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to another edition of the MA Report Podcast with Dale Galvan. I am Jason Floyd. It is April the 27th, 2022, and we've got another jam-packed episode of the podcast for you. Got an interview here in a little bit. You're here from Anthony Rocco Martin. is going to be headlining the CES card here as he'll be fighting at middleweight, not at lightweight, not at welterweight. He's fighting at middleweight. So you hear from him talk about what has been going on with him nearly two years since the last time we have seen Anthony Rocco Martin in competition. Plus, we'll talk about some of the things that really were big takeaways for us from last week's MMA. Of course, we've got this week's MMA as well. But uh, Daniel, kind of start off the show, talk about some some notable news in the world of mixed martial arts. And uh, we got to start with one championship as it was uh, revealed earlier on today. They now have a meeting. Media rights deal in the United States and Canada with Amazon Prime Video, which you get that uh, that news in your email, you're kind of like, well, that's, that's some that's some pretty good news if you're one championship. Because I think you know, as, as uh, football fans, we all know how much Amazon is making a, a dent into the NFL media rights. And so, uh, my my first thought when I saw that was like, man, that, that's pretty cool news for one championship. Of course, my next thought was. All right, we back in 2019. This is a promotion that was trying to do a show in Hawaii that ultimately did not happen because of COVID. And then there was uh, they were trying to go to Colorado as well. We'll talk about that aspect of it as well. But my, kind of, I guess my two big thoughts was, hey, man, kudos for one championship getting this deal done. Who knows what the financial terms of this deal are? Uh, but my second thought is, I wonder how soon we see one championship with a live event here in the United States. I mean, it seems like, it may have already happened had the pandemic not. Yeah. That appeared to have been a, a clear game plan for one FC before the coronavirus shut everything down. So I certainly think that has to be a priority. The biggest question, of course, is which state can they even do it in if they're looking to continue to go forward with their current rule set they do in Japan? That's a big question if they're going to budge or if they're going to be able to find a partner, whether it be Colorado or another state. So that certainly seems like that's going to happen sooner rather than later. A lot of their stars are American talent that people know. The Amazon deal is great for them. I, I think it's it's not an A+, plus, but I think it's great for them to be on a streaming service. I just feel like personally Amazon Prime isn't the most – like isn't Netflix, right? It's not ESPN Plus in terms of I don't necessarily know if – a lot of hardcore MMA fans are used to going to that streaming service to stream live sports, but it's on that next tier of of streaming services that are trying to be a part of that landscape. Obviously, football fans this upcoming year are going to have to get familiar with Amazon Prime, right? Like to 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 watch you know Thursday night football. That's going to be something, and so you're going to have a large section of sports fans that will get familiar with Amazon to watch live sports, and you hope that bleeds into your MA coverage. So for one FC, a deal like this is certainly good news. Uh, I, I I do have questions. Is do you does this mean one FC will no longer air on TNT? Uh no, that deal. Yeah, that deal is expired. That deal. Uh, yeah, with, it was a Bleach Report Turner deal. Yeah. Yeah, you see, that was kind of a good deal in terms of getting like random eyeballs on your product. But, you know, Amazon Prime is in a tough uh, consolation prize. And again, financially, if Amazon is paying money for this, then that's a major coup for 1FC, although I would be surprised if it's a large sum. 
so I, I tweeted about this earlier on today, talking about how they were trying to go to Hawaii in 2019, and one championship was having a lot of conversation with the power players on the regulatory side. And the one thing that I heard back then that was relayed to one championship is you're not, you are going to have to be under the unified rules of mixed martial arts. If you want to do a show here in the United States, obviously we know they have a different rule set over in Singapore. And, you know, so I put this tweet out there and I knew someone was going to respond. I knew it was just a matter of time. And that is the, the man who runs the Colorado, commission which is tony cummings tony i don't know if and whether or not he hears this or not i you know doesn't affect me whether you know whether he thinks uh, i'm full of bs or not but i think that he may not be looking at the long term i think he's looking at a short-term play not a long-term play here and i will say this tony here's my advice to you you might want to start calling around to the power players in mixed martial arts and see who's going to have a problem potentially with you approving a rule set, which is the one championship global rule set. And, and I got to give kudos to Eric McCracken. He had a story on combat sports law last year about this, where he did a public records request to get the exact extent of these rules that the state of Colorado and their commission approved, which does include the use of knees to grounded opponents. And so I kind of went through this whole rule set and, and I started, you know, really a lot of the rule set, I mean, it's kind of very, you know, things you would expect, but some of the things like in the grounded uh, department of this, where it says uh, kneeing to the head of a grounded opponent is legal. Kicks to the head of a ground opponent are illegal and not permitted. Stomps to the head are illegal and not permitted. The other thing that really kind of stuck out to me was the way fights will be scored, which is the global judging criteria, which is very much different than, you know, the unified rules of mixed martial arts. The one thing about this and people with Colorado commission may not like hearing this, but this is the reality. You got commission shot, bro. That's exactly what happened here. And I think there are going to be people who are the movers and shakers in this industry that might make a phone call to your boss, Tony Cummings, the governor of Colorado, and might try to make sure that if a one championship event happens in the, in the United States, that's under the unified rules of MMA. So let me ask you this. Why, what is the motivation you think for power brokers in America to ensure that this doesn't happen in terms of the state making that adjustment to so, the see rule set? So a promoter can't dictate what the rules of a combat sports event are. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, yeah, you don't want to cherry. You don't want to have a random rule set that's drastically different, especially when it comes to what is and what is an illegal strike. In this country. I mean, look, I think if one championship wants to do this the correct way is you go to a commission that is going to say you got to be under unified rules of MMA. No one should be shocked that one championship has been commission shopping. But I always say this to a regulator. Do you want to be how people label you as someone that will bend the rules for a promotion? And, And look, I'm just saying this. What if the UFC goes to the state of Colorado and says, if you do that event under a rule set, not under the unified rules of MMA, will never come to your state. What do you think happens? I mean, I think the UFC has enough lobbying power to 
make sure that doesn't happen, right? They are the one game in town that generates a, a major crowd if they decide to put a pay-per-view there, a, a large show there. They are the difference maker. They're the big fish in this pond. And I, I think they would be able to do a power play of their own to, to make sure this doesn't happen. Or if it does happen, then maybe there's consequences. And it's a deal where I think the risk far outweigh the reward of having a one FC card in your home state. I just, I I, I don't necessarily think it's worth uh, obtaining so much political ill will from some of the top power players, whether it be fellow fellow commissions as well as major promotions. It's certainly, the thing is like with the one FC rule set, when I watch the shows, like I don't have a problem with them. It's just interesting that, in America, we do, and it makes sense why we do, right? You you don't you want that unified rule set? That certainly makes a lot of sense. I, I just wonder what's the motivation for Colorado to be the sh- the place where they are being commission shopped? Like, why do you think Colorado is willing to make this uh, adjustment? I I have perceptions on that. Yeah, <laughs> I have perceptions of why that maybe. I mean, look, it's look if if I think if I'm Matt Hume and I'm one championship, I'm and and you truly want to make a footprint in the United States, I think you just sit there and say, hey, when we come to the United States, we gotta go under unified rules of MMA. I, I just I don't think it's a good look when a commission is willing to to just drastically change the rules and say allow promotion to bring in their own rules criteria as opposed to unified rules MMA. By the way, speaking of one championships, Arhan Pulhar was on the MMA Hour today. He throws out there that there was this talk of Henry Cejudo being uh, traded to one championship. Henry Cejudo's manager, Ali Delziz, tells Damon Barton there is absolutely no truth to that, which you, I text this to you, and you brought up a great point to me. Like, if you were the UFC, what are you trading for? I know, right? I, I mean, obviously... You know, Demetrius Johnson comes to mind, the guy you traded away years ago. But there isn't a whole lot of fighters that I'm the UFC. There are like there are like guys who don't have names that are incredibly talented. But in terms of the value for value, you're not going to find Henry Cejudo's value. Maybe for the UFC, they just want to, you know, get out of the Henry Cejudo business and they'll take pennies on the dollar. For Henry Cejudo, like this almost reminds me of a sports franchise that is just tired of a knucklehead superstar and trades them away for something that's not the same value. But in terms of a hypothetical trade, I mean, there's not a lot one FC can put on the table that would equate Henry Cejudo's value. The more I thought about it, I said, if there was any truth to this. I think the tell the the storyline there tells you how bad the UFC doesn't want to be in business with Henry Cejudo. Yeah, which is surprising because they can do a lot of big fights with him. He can come out and he can what, challenge for a litany of championships. What's that say about what saying there's any truth to this? And I mean, look, you know, I'm going to take Ali Abdelaziz as word that, you know, because obviously if there was, Ali would have to be a part of the, the negotiating process because he's the manager of Harry Saudo. But like I sit there and say is if there is truth to this and, and big capital letters, if. Like what is what's that say about what, what maybe what Henry Cejudo is like behind closed doors? Yeah, or it could certainly be behind closed doors for sure. Or it makes you wonder if the UFC was incredibly disappointed in how he retired after that championship fight, right? Get, being given that opportunity, and then the UFC's left hanging dry. I feel like that plays a big role. I think that left a bitter taste in the UFC's mouth, and 
that to me, maybe more so than anything, is the reason why we're here, why they're apprehensive. And maybe it's the combination of that with dealing with Henry behind the scenes that just is not worth it. They don't want to go down that road. They don't want to go down that road and have him come back, win a championship, and retire once again. But I certainly think for Henry, finding a 1FC isn't that interesting. You have one really big fight you can do. But I, I just, to come out of retirement, it's just not something that would get me out of bed if I'm Henry Cejudo. Well, I think he's made it very clear. <laughs> it's about getting paid. He, homeboy wants to get paid. I, I think we all we all see that writing on the wall of, of how much he wants to get paid. Now, I will say, in terms of some other news from last week, you know, I'm not sure if it was last week's podcast or a couple weeks ago. You know, when we were talking about you know these comments that the PFL made about you know Bellator and a co promotion and all that, and, and I said on the podcast, I said I really wonder if the PFL has picked up the phone to call Scott Coker. Well, old Scotty Cokes gave us the answer to that question. You know, I'll tell you, um, I, I'm, I'm not sure because uh, just to be honest, look, I haven't heard from them at all. I mean, not nothing. And I know they know my number. And so it's, I, I don't understand that I, I think they're doing a lot of social, you know, uh, chattering and, and, and trying to, you know, create a story. But to me, Chris is the greatest female fighter of all time. And she fights for Bellator. Kayla Harrison is a great, great fighter. She's proven that. And she could be uh, one of the greats of all time in the future as well. But she has to grow and to fight somebody and to keep growing. And, and it's, she's, she's going to have to put years into it. So to me, it's like, look, you know what? It's We'll see. But I, I, I'm confused by what, what they say and what they want to do because I, I, haven't, I haven't heard from anybody. And, you know, these social attacks are – you know, their way of doing business. I just don't do business like that. So, you know, I, I pick up a phone and give me a call and that, that's how we do business. So if they do call, that's something you would possibly entertain. Yeah. There's a lot of, lot of things to work out. I mean, like we've been talking to Ali about sending some fighters to, uh, you know, Habib's league and we do the, you know, second year and I will sit down and start talking about December this year for the end of the year. We're not opposed to it, but it has to make sense for both sides. And there's a lot of questions because not only is who pays for what, who owns what, and how do the rights work after? And there's just there's a lot of details of you know uh, of of these types of co-promotions. And you know I'm I'm not sure if we could put a deal together. And but if we can, you know it's it's something that uh, I, I, it's worth at least a conversation. But uh, like I said again, it's you know doing business on on social on social, just trying to take shots at us. I mean, you know, that that's kids play and we're, we're, well, this is a real business. We're a real company and, you know, we're in the business of putting fights together. So pick up a phone, give me a call. If you want to do something, that's how I feel. 10, eight round, Daniel, 10, eight round, Scotty Cokes. I yeah. mean, like, like there, there's a couple of just little daggers he threw in there. You know, he's like, we're a real company. <laughs> I was like, holy crap. By the way, Hey, memo to, uh, the people at the PFL. I hope they realize one of the early employees of the WSOF works for Bellator. So that person, I don't know, might know some things, but like, it's one of those things of, I, I mentioned on the podcast, has the PFL picked up the phone and Scott Coker's like, no. And by the way, the audio coming from MMA fighting uh, uh, Mike Heck was interviewing Scott Coker. It's one of those things of, I, when you hear Coker say that and you go, all right, PFL, he just put the ball in your court. You know, you got to pick up the phone. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild to put out what the PFL has put out when they haven't actually communicated with Scott Coker. And it, it just comes across as Bush League. It comes across like they remind you of that annoying friend you have on social media that talks a big game, but obviously they aren't doing anything. And it's wild to hear Scott Coker talk like that, right? It's wild to hear Scott Coker talk in general. I mean, the man doesn't really talk a whole <laughs> lot. But for him to answer a question in that fashion, I think, shows that there is a certain level of, I don't know, annoyance, irritation, that Scott's maybe irritated by the way the PFO goes about their business. And the thing is, it's not completely outlandish to imagine a Bellator PFL co-promoted event centered around Cyborg versus Harrison, Right. We've seen Bellator get in business with other promotions. One FC is a, is a big example with Kyoji Horiguchi. So it's certainly something that would be a real possibility and it would be a real treat for MMA fans to see that fight. It would be the biggest fight PFL could put on. And it's a shame that they kind of aren't going about it like a normal business and communicating with Scott Coker. Instead, it's through weird PR pieces and social media posts. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, the only thing Scott Coker said and that that I would disagree with would be that Chris Cyborg's the greatest female fighter of all time. I think that is clearly Amanda Nunez. But regardless, still a 10-8 round for Scott Coker. I mean, look, he's Chris Cyborg's promoter. He's got to say that, first off. And look, I truly believe Scott Coker believes that. I don't think it's promoter talk. I think he truly does believe that. But the thing is, I was thinking about this earlier today. Chris Cyborg needs Kayla Harrison. Kayla Harrison needs Cyborg. But what does Bellator need from PFL? What does PFL bring to the table besides Kayla Harrison? Okay, you could sit there and say the ESPN contract, you know, put the fight, you know, but I would think if you're going to put that type of fight together, it's got to be a pay-per-view fight. It's just, it's one of these things of, and and obviously, you know, Chris is going to be a free agent upcoming. You know, she's talked about she's wanted a box and I'm sitting there and, and the more I thought about this, like, I really wonder if you got Scott Coker's true opinion, does Bellator want to be in the Chris Cyborg business six months from now? I don't know. I mean, look, we had a special moment in the fight we just saw this past weekend. Chris Cyborg still has that superstar feel when you're watching the fight. She can really validate another opponent. All they got to do is survive and they become a star. And Arlene Blinko did more than that, for sure, right? She had some nice moments, but it was mostly domination from Cyborg's end. You know, does does Bellator want to remain in the Chris Cyborg business? I mean, I think it's a very expensive business to be a part of, and there just isn't a single interesting fight that they could possibly make that doesn't involve the name Kayla Harrison. I don't necessarily know if the return on investment is there when it comes to how much money you're investing on Chris Cyborg on a per fight deal. So once this deal ends up, I I, I think it wouldn't be shocking if Bellator looks in the mirror and doesn't remain in the Chris Cyborg business because simply put, it's a business. And I don't necessarily think Bellator is going to be getting what they paid for in terms of they're paying a, a talent and unfortunately having nothing to do with the talent, the environment the talent is in can't bring the money back 
to Bellator. They cannot promote a big fight with Chris Cyborg because it just simply doesn't exist because she is so much more dominant than her competitors and none of her potential challengers have really resonated with casual fans. And the one thing that I thought of the other day and actually thought of this on Sunday when I was doing my Bellator rankings is I can't remember the last time there has been more than 10 fighters else will be voted on. And, and that's just kind of made me think about is like, you, you really wonder, you know, could this, could Bellator be sitting there and say, you know what, maybe we want to get out of the women's 145 pound business. You know, maybe they sit there and say, maybe let's go to one, 135. Maybe we feel like we can develop more division there. But that, that was one which, of the things which, I thought. Which, of. which weight class do you think lasts longer? Women's featherweight and Bellator UFC? Oh, yeah, I think you have to say, you have to say Bellator. Because, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, do you really have a 145-pound division in the UFC? Do you really? Yeah, I mean, you really don't, man. I mean, you can't even put on 10 fighters in that weight class. I, I will tell you, speaking of the Bellator rankings, the hardest ranking system or division for me to rank on this uh, in this rankings period was women's flyweight. And it was really on... What and by the way, speaking of, uh, let's just say there is much more of fighters to vote on at 125 as opposed to 145. Uh, I, literally, there's actually fighters on the right hand side I could drag into the top 10 at 125 as opposed to being done at 145. But it, it was what to do with Aleem Lay McFarlane and Justine Kish. Yeah. And I know there was some criticism because the ranking, the official rankings came out and Justine Kish was not above Alima McFarlane. I did put Justine Kish in front of Alima. So to, so everyone, you know, I talked about this. I'm going to be as transparent as possible in terms of my rankings. Of course, Carmouche, number one, we can talk about the, the, uh, the uh, end of that fight there. Then Velasquez to Denise Kielholz, three wannabe three. Four Bennett, five Kish, six McFarlane, seven Laura, eight Ortega, nine Porto, and number ten Anaba, who's now four and zero. It was to me, it was like, okay, how far do I put Justine Kish up? How far do I drop Alimale down? You know, we'll we'll see how this division plays out. We had the controversy in the main event, and one thing that uh, was said to me about the controversy in the main event is there's one person who had a very close view of what was going on, and that's Mike Beltron. And, look, I think Mike Beltron's one of the best referees in this game. Clearly, there is something he saw from Julian Velasquez that made him stop that fight. Yeah. Yeah, he's well-respected. I mean, you're right. Potentially, from his point of view, there's justification for the stoppage. Watching the broadcast, I think it was a bad stoppage. This was a fight where... Velasquez was winning it, and in that moment, I didn't feel like the damage was significant enough for the fight to be stopped. Obviously, the defense from Velasquez just really wasn't there. She was kind of trapped, but I, I do think it was a bad stoppage, especially when it's a championship fight. So I was talking to somebody about this today. Is the controversy what it is if, say, there's one minute left in a round as opposed to 18 seconds? No, it's 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 different. It's definitely different because at some point, being put in that position for a minute plus on the clock, it's like relentless, the amount of punishment yeah. you're getting versus surviving for 10 seconds. My, my overall thought is I think it's a bad stoppage. 
And the one thing that I've always heard about Mike is the fact of after he goes back and watches, if he thinks he messed up, he'll he'll let people know that he thinks he messed up. I, you know, look, I think if you're Bellator, you got to run it back. You know, I, I think there's no question that you have to run it back. But I mean, look, was Juliana Velasquez going to escape that that position? I don't think so. Now, look, were the shots damaging? I don't think they were. But who says she doesn't land another shot or two? And and this is one of those things of like. Man, you know, if Mike Beltron did an interview and talked about what he saw, maybe, maybe we see it the way he sees it, and maybe that would open up our eyes to things. Yeah, he's certainly someone who deserves the benefit of the doubt, but sometimes you just make the bad call, and I, I think that was the case there. I mean, certainly Juliana's going to have an opportunity to prove herself once again uh, in the future, and it's got to be the next fight, as you said. It makes it a very interesting flyweight championship fight now, but... Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what you could see other than the face and the eyes of Juliana Velasquez, but I just, I mean, to me, Carmouche appeared to not be doing landing hard shots there. Uh, it's just very reminiscent of the Brock Lesnar masturbation punches. And I just feel like it was a bad call, um, but he's someone who's earned the ability to make a bad call, right? There aren't many times I'm watching a Mike Belchon fight and, and coming away complaining about his officiating. It was a tough call. It certainly was. It, it wasn't completely egregious, but I, I did think it was the wrong wrong decision. You know, I mean, look, it's... I, I would say to people, can you name three better referees in the game right now than Mike Beltron? It's, it's, a, it's a tough proposition. I don't... You know, obviously, Jason Herzog is one who comes to mind, but... Herzog... Goddard, I think, would be up there. Yeah. I, I mean, Herb Dean's had a lot of bad stoppages. I mean, you know, I mean, Herb's still one of the better referees in this game. I wouldn't put him in front of Mike Beltron. Yeah, I would say maybe Chris Tyone, but I would put Beltron ahead of him anyways. You know, I would certainly say Beltran is justifiably number three. I mean, you know, Frank Trigg does a good job whenever he referees, but... Yeah, I, I think Mike Beltron, given the quantity of fights he's a part of, he does he does a pretty stand-up job. By the way, speaking about the regulatory side, uh, I was listening to the Anakin Florian podcast. They had Sean Sheehan from Severe MMA on talking about you know the the judging criteria and, and one of the things that uh, I do know the the verbiage of how fights are scored is going to be looked at at the ABC meeting this year. So that's something to kind of pay attention to. I think particularly when we talk about the 10-8 rounds of whether or not you score around uh, 10 to 8. By, by the way, uh, if you didn't watch Jeremy Stevens' Clay Collar last Wednesday night, the PFL show, like, dang, how many times this podcast we talk about? There's these fights you say, you want to get your fans in MMA, your friends in the MMA? That's the goddamn fight you make them watch. Yeah, that was a great fight, dude. It, it sucked that we recorded on Wednesday, and again, we're recording the same day as, you know, PFL. That's how our schedules line up, but yeah, it happened seven days ago, and, you know, it was a hell of a main event, a great fight. Collard won all three rounds, but Jeremy Stevens had plenty of great moments that were just a throwback to his days in the UFC, and it was a it was a great main event. It was a great main card, to be honest with you. Like, I enjoyed all four fights. I thought Olive and Avin Messier and Anton Schulte was, was, was a good fight. I thought Don Maj and Rosh Manfio was a good fight. I thought Antonio Carlos Jr. is someone who's just so much fun to watch. 
because he will put dudes away in less than a minute. And Dude, that's what he did against Del Monte. He gets rocked at the beginning of the fight and still wins the fight in 30 seconds. Yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I I, uh, I didn't catch the preliminary car, but you had quite a few finishes there. I would say it was a successful debut from PFL in terms of entertainment, but obviously uh, you were talking to me about the viewership numbers. They aren't the most impressive. Yeah, I would tell you, I was uh, I was relatively surprised by that. Only a hundred, the main card averaged one hundred forty four thousand viewers on ESPN. I would have thought the number would have been higher than what it was. Jeremy Stevens, by the way, winless now in his last seven fights, hasn't won in over four years. It's just crazy. And I mean, look, and, and he's fought a who's who of, of opponents and Clay Collard. I mean, you just talk about some of the, sh- I mean, look, there were some shots that he landed that I think drop a lot of lightweights. And there were some shots that Jeremy Stevens landed that I think, you know, the, the other guy would be going night, night. I mean, yeah. cause he was landing some massive shots, but it, it was just, it's one of those fights that these two dudes just stood in that cage and just rail on each other. By the way, PFL, you had a great night of fights. Does the whole lower third of the screen have to be every stat you can come up with? I know, I know. There's one person that's like in charge of statistics in the PFL, and they just go, I mean, they do their job incredibly well, so well they need to be promoted to doing something else because it's just too much. It's just one of those things of like, I'm a stats guy. I'll be the first one to tell you I'm a stats guy. But like, there's times in a fight where MMA stats do not relate into who's winning the round. Yeah, especially when guys, specifically when with striking quantity, you'll see a fight where maybe a guy lands more strikes, but it's clear the other strikes just start landing harder and they're more significant. So, so that's a big, big reason why. the The other thing I'll point out is maybe the viewership number was low because they were going head to head with the NBA playoffs. Bro, bro, know? they're going head to head against the NFL draft tomorrow night. Oh, oh, their cards on Thursday. Yeah. Ooh, I thought it was Wednesday. <laughs> bro, bro, I, when I saw it that it was on this week, I'm like, uh, why the hell would you go up against the NFL draft? I'm sure it wasn't their choice. All right, I'm so, sure. okay, every Thursday night, I am at one of my restaurant establishments because of a gig we have there every Thursday night. I'm just going to guess no one's going to ask have PFL to get put on the TV. Yeah, it's going to be all NFL. I mean, it's it's... You know, it's 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 the one time when the NBA playoffs will get overshined. I mean, is this a weak NFL draft when it comes to name value? Yeah, there's no major quarterbacks. They're going to go one, two, I, three. So I was almost going to Las Vegas this weekend. Literally came up very last minute. It was for for work related. And I, I would tell you, I was actually surprised. I mean, airline tickets were holy crap expensive. But I was actually surprised how cheap hotel rooms are in Vegas. Uh, yeah, was, you can say seizures for three three hundred bucks a night. Wow, yeah, it's because they know once they get you in there, you're gonna spend uh, a whole crap load in their damn casino. Yeah, yeah. But by, by the way, you want you, you want to know what I'm doing on Saturday night? What are you doing? I'm going to uh, Saturday night's main event WWE. Oh wow! If I, uh, I was out with my buddy last Friday night, and uh, we were watching the Bellator fights, and uh, you know. Had it on my phone in front of us as we were sitting there having a couple of adult beverages. And uh, he's like, hey, man, uh, my buddy got some tickets for WWE. I, he can't go. You want to go? I'm like, sure, why not? So, yeah, that's what I'm doing on Saturday night. Dude, I, I love it, man. I, I appreciate so, you uh, supporting okay. the business. Here's a question. I'm sure I'm about to feel really old right now. Did you ever watch when they truly did Saturday night's main event on NBC back in the day? 
Not okay. So they did bring it back when I was like in high school. So I watched it then, but not the old school. I mean, you know, I was born in 1995. But uh, yeah, they did bring it back, and they would air it then. Yeah, that that was a cool thing growing up when they did Saturday Night's Main Event. Yeah, man. So it's gonna air on NBC. No, no, no. It's just a house oh. show. But it's oh, it's uh, being titled? it's being marketed as uh, a Saturday Night's Main Event. Yeah, he, wow. he, yeah. Yeah, wow. I, I'm sure if you know if I would have said, "Hey, Daniel, give me your top five guests of what I'm doing on Saturday night," I don't think you would have thought go to a WWE house show was one of those five things. No, I mean, I think my my wrestling influence is rubbing <laughs> off on you, man. You know, in my in my area, my neck of the woods, not this weekend, but the weekend after, we actually have an MA promotion, Fury FC. Oh yeah, yeah, Fury, yeah, yeah. They're doing some great shows. Yeah, they're running. Uh, they're running in Edinburgh and they run they're going to run where the Vipers play. Uh, so I would be shocked if it gets any good attendance, but you know, we'll see. Well, it's, well, it's, Mr. It's Negativity a, over here. I mean, it's like a big NBA arena. I mean, not an NBA arena. It, it's a legit arena. Like it's got like a capacity of what? 10,000 people. And yeah, I mean, Nate Smith and Anthony Canzano, you know, that's a fight that might mean a lot more. Like a Fury FC card is full of fights that are going to mean a lot more five years from now than they do today because the future is bright for so many of these guys. But I don't know. I might go. The tickets are pretty pricey, though. Uh, let's see here. I'm, I'm kind of looking. Obviously, Nate Smith is a name that I recognize. He'll be in the main event, a 135-pound matchup here. Uh, other names, Evan Cutts, um, recognize his name. Isaac Moreno is someone I, I recognize his name. Yeah, so I don't know. I might, I might go. I might not. We'll see. I know my guy uh, Alon Cruz just fought on Fury. Got got a win over there. My you know, got to support my Tampa guys. Going yeah. out there to get a win. Actually, one yeah. of, one of my bartenders is having his pro MMA debut this Saturday up in Jacksonville. Oh my goodness! He, let's just say uh, Friday night he was supporting a nice black eye. <laughs> <laughs> he's hard in camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's uh, been a uh, he's been an amateur Muay Thai fighter for forever. And, That's freaking uh, awesome. Yeah, I saw uh, finally getting his, his pro debut uh, coming up in there. You know, in terms of uh, other things from last week's MMA, that uh, Danny Sabatella, boy, first off, he he knows that F word. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Uh, man, you've been on the Danny Sabatella train for a while now. and uh, I, I feel like I'm the driver of this bus, and, and my bus is getting filled up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was uh, it was a good effort against Jornel Lugo. I mean, you have him. Uh, you know, Enrique Barzola was good, but the opponent quality was was down. Versus the Lugo, the opponent quality was up. And Sabatello and Barzola basically had similar game plans. And you can kind of see Sabatello can implement his wrestling maybe to squeak by to the semifinals. But yeah, I mean, that was uh, that was you know a pretty notable thing. Nice little crowd there for two seventy eight. But I mean. Dude, it was all about Bellator 279 this weekend. Yeah, obviously, there's some great stuff on the UFC we'll get into, but like, so to me, it was the trio. It was one, uh, Arlene Blinkow's performance was just the stuff of legends, surviving five rounds against Chris Cyborg, consistently showing, you know, keeping her foot on the gas pedal and moving forward. Number two, you called it. Yancey Madero's Emmanuel Sanchez was a hell of a fight. It was the best fight of the weekend. It was awesome. Sanchez was aggressive early on. Madero's kind of rebounded throughout each round. And thirdly, it was a highlight reel knockout for Raphael Stouts. I mean, what a phenomenal way to punch your ticket to the semifinals. It was a it was a really great Bellator 279 main card. 
And Yancey has now signed a multi-fight deal with Bellator. Interesting. It was interesting when I was doing my rankings on Sunday that so this matchup between Yancey and Sanchez was at, at 155. And Emmanuel Sanchez was no longer eligible at 145 pounds. So kind of had to make some changes there with my 145 pound rankings there. Uh, I will say this, man, Patchy Mix. I, I did not think he was going to be able to get that job done against Koji Horiguchi. But I mean, you just when you saw those two guys standing next to each other, it looked like a legit bantamweight versus a legit flyweight. Yeah, yeah. It was a close fight for sure. But Mix, to me, won this fight because of his back control. It was... Uh, him bullying Horiguchi from a positional standpoint that I think got him the victory and it was the best win of his career. Horiguchi, I think, obviously deserves to enter this tournament as the favorite. And for the favorite to lose in the quarterfinals is a big shock, but now it really opens up the possibilities of who's going to win this tournament and be the guy to challenge Pettis. But, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, Justin Kish and Alimale McFarland, just a bad, bad outing for Alimale for Justin Kish. I agree with you. She obviously deserves to be above Ali Malay in the rankings because she won every aspect of the fight game in this three-round decision. By the way, something you guys mentioned about this this Bantamweight Grand Prix, the massive advantage that now Patchy Mix and Rafion Stotts are in because now they get to sit and wait and see who they're going to take on in the semifinals as, of course, Sabatello and Barzola advance on into the quarterfinal rounds. Those matchups are going to take place June 24th at the Mohegan Sun. Leandro Higo probably needs to go to fight ready and, and spend a lot of time with Henry Cejudo because uh, you know what's coming, bro. Yeah, That, that wrestling train is coming. It's going to be very interesting to see what the betting odds are there. I mean, that's something you identified the moment Sabatello was announced as a as a as I'd, a participant. I would be shocked if he doesn't open up as a two to one betting favorite. Wow, wow, that would yeah. I mean, that would be something for the replacement to you know make his way to the semis. But I mean, look, hey, we always talk about it. you got to take advantage of that microphone is in front of your face. Yeah, he, he took advantage of that time. <laughs> He's definitely one of the guys on the Bellator roster that has the most upside in terms of like making this guy into a star if you're Bellator. That that attitude, that personality, that's what you want to see for Scott Coker. That's something you can build around and market and get some publicity from. I just wonder who can they put across the cage from him to really get fans excited? Because like I think of these other bandwaits, I don't think of guys who are who are trash talkers. I mean James Gallagher. Dude, he'll wreck Gallagher. Yeah. Do not put James Gallagher in there against him. Dean Sebastian will roll through him. Yeah, but the, he's the only one when it comes to like potential trash talk. So yeah, it's uh, by the way. So uh, the official rankings came out, and Gallagher I think is still like seventh. I don't quite understand. I have Gallagher. He is at ten for me. Um, yeah. So I've got uh, Mix Horguchi Archuleta. Magomedov, Hill, Higo, Sabatello, Barzola, and then Gallagher. You know, it's kind of a, a little bit of a forgotten name in this Bellator Bantamweight division. Who's that? Brett Johns. Yeah, you're right. Ever since he, he lost to, you know, he's coming off that win, but you know, he lost Sabatello in his Bellator debut. He's kind of, you know, like I'm just kind of looking at the, the eligible fighters. To me, like he's kind of become a little bit of a lost name in this Bellator Bantamweight division. Yeah, if you had given me three guesses, I don't know if I would have guessed Brett Johns. That tells you how lost he is in the Bantamweight division. But, yeah, it's it's not outrageous to anticipate that he could piece some things together. He's got the talent level. 
Yeah. You know, looking at the the UFC card. So you know, everyone's talking about the, the first ever UFC standing arm triangle choke win for, for Jessica Andrade. And it made me think about, you know, this happened in Bellator, right? Who was it? Jessica. Was it the light heavyweight tournament? No, it was Jessica no. I. Back in the day, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm pulling up right now because I remember this is way back in the day. You got to go early on Bellator against Zola Frosto. Mm-hmm. Bellator 83, December 7th, 2012. Wow. By the way, that was Jessica's last fight in Bellator, too. Before he jumped into the UFC. That she, is, uh, she had one more fight uh, outside, oh, a yeah. uh, local fight, and then she got into the UFC. Damn. That's crazy. What do we th- I'm just th- I'm throwing you know, probably useless stats at you. Yeah, no, that's that's wild. I don't even remember that at all. I thought, yeah. Josh- well, you were probably like, what, 15? Yeah, <laughs> you know, Andrade, man, that's something you see in like police defense, self-defense, right? That standing arm triangle. But, Dude, you know, the photo, the photo that a photographer got of of uh, Lamos's side, that face she's giving. I'm like, man, that is a plus photography. Yeah, it was. It was a great picture. Feel bad for Lamos. She looked good on the feet for before that took place. You know, Claudio Puelles, I mean, beautiful submission on Clay Guida. I believe second time he's he's got the knee bar. I thought, uh, you know, the other fight to, to watch this weekend, Sergey Kudzanko and Dwight Grant. I mean, these guys had each other hurt all over the place all the time. Tyson Pedro, after a couple illegal moments, nice finish over Ike Villanueva. You know, Macy Barber kind of returned to form, Jason, with the win over Montana De La Rosa. Kind of reminded you of why she'd got so much hype. It was kind of sad to see uh, Jordan and Veneta end so early. I was kind of anticipating that would be something we'd yeah. be talking about. But to me, the number one story from uh, the UFC fighting, it has to be Mike Jackson uh, getting his first win. <laughs> I mean, what a way to get your first ever win to just, you know. Look, I can't feel bad for Dean Barry because he hit like three different illegal strikes on Mike Jackson in the span of four minutes, right? Like this is an easy fight for Dean Barry to get a victory and he just blows it. Bro, bro you know, the UFC is like, God damn it. We got to give Mike Jackson our fight now. I know. They're like, we'll just do one more fight. Oh God. We're still in the Mike Jackson. business. Like, what, what do you do? I, I Do you just book the rematch? Yeah. I just don't know how many fights you can legally book in a commission, right? So I, I think you probably just do the rematch. But uh, I don't know. I think Mike Jackson should probably just retire at 1-1-1. One, one one. <laughs> uh, by the way, you mentioned about Claudio. He'll actually will be on the podcast next week. I'm talking to him on Friday. So look for that uh, on next week's episode of, of the podcast. But, uh, but yeah, man, it, it's, you know, like as you, you know, to me, it, it, looking at uh, the surprising results, I, I think it's, it's how Claudio got the win. I think that's what's surprising to me. Yeah, it was. It was very dominant to, to dominate the grappling aspect, a very slick grappler. Claudio, to me, uh, looked like a guy I would want to buy just a whole lot of stock in. Uh, he, he's just one hell of a lightweight, and I'll be looking forward to his interview. And uh, also, you know, Philippe Lean's uh, solid performance over Marcin Prashnio. I, I think he's a, he, uh, a name we're obviously very familiar with. I feel like he may put things together here in the UFC. Now, of course, uh, before we get into this week's MMA, I'm going to let you hear the one interview you have here on this week's edition of the podcast. It is with Anthony Rocco Martin, who will be headlining the upcoming CES car. So here's my conversation with Anthony Rocco Martin. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who's going to step back inside competition for the first time in nearly 
two years, Anthony Rocco Martin. Anthony, as always, man, I appreciate the time. Um, I, I know anyone who goes to your Instagram can kind of kind of see this. What's kind of been going on with you? You know, you know, with the knee surgery, and then there was an infection in the knee. You have to go back in, and you know, the, you you outline the MRSA issue. Like as you think about like your journey in martial arts, has the last two years been the hardest two years of your life? Yeah, that's not just martial arts, though. That's just, yeah, <laughs> the last two years of my life, for sure. In terms of coming back from the knee surgeries, what, what was the hardest part for you with that? Uh, well, really, it was just all the outside outside drama that's been going on. You know, it's so a lot of a lot of, move, a lot of moving, moving parts on the outside and just uh, depression and stuff like that. So a lot of, a lot of things, you know, surrounding just that part. And, uh, but the hardest thing is just, just getting back in there. I just, I had to get a fight and it was a struggle getting, finding a fight. And then again, I was moving. I moved like five times. So it's been absolutely wild. I remember, of course you were down in coconut Creek for a while. Then I remember you were up in, in, in Atlanta area. And now I see you're back, back in your home state of Minnesota. Yeah. And no, I was back down to Florida for a while too, about a year, you know, I was down there and then, uh, now I'm back up here in Minnesota for a little bit, but uh, I came up here right before the winter time. That's, that might have been the worst time to come up here. I'll tell you what, that's not that's not my lush. As someone who's grown up, who's lived in Florida all of his life, uh, I'm, I can't do that. I can't. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not built for that, man. It was too. I was. I've been gone too long. I guess I came up here and had to be what january something every it was like 20 something days and negative like 10 degrees negative 15 i'm just like this is just a little this is too much uh so where are you doing your camp for this one yeah i have a gym up here that i uh start bjj up here in uh st cloud minnesota so that i mean i started a long time ago with brock kind of get brock a, mm-hmm. you know a, a gym and get them all set up and so now i've been just up here i'm not really I can been bouncing around in a couple of different places. Uh, it's just hard to find, you know, exactly what I need. It's, uh, Minnesota, Minnesota, I don't think it's for Tony. It's not for Tony. The one thing that stuck out to me when this fight was uh, announced was at middleweight. Uh, was this something just, uh, are you planning to be at middleweight or is it more about, man, I'm just trying to get in there and it was what was offered? Uh, honestly, I thought it was going to be 170, and then all of a sudden, just Brock said, "Now it's 185." And you never know if Brock's kidding ever, you know, if he's joking or if he's being serious. So I'm like, "All right," you know, because I was trying to fight a couple times. You know, I was trying to get on a sliding or a different card and try to fight back to back. So I want, I didn't really want to cut weight twice. Mm-hmm. So I'm only walking like 192. So it's not. I'm like, yeah. I'm just going to get in there. I'm going to be the same weight, but I'm not really worried about it. You know? I'm just, I honestly think that 85 is a lesser division, to be honest. I, I truly believe the middleweights, there's a big drop off once you, once you move up. You mentioned about the, the struggle of getting fights. Um, you know, obviously once you were, you know, back healthy, was, was it a frustrating thing that, that you couldn't get a fight? Well, I mean, it's more frustrating just to feel like, you know, I mean, I feel a little wrong in throughout the whole process, you know what I mean? With, uh, with the UFC and just how, you know, uh, you know, I thought it was a controversial decision, but it was also like, then I'm also going through some major injuries, you know, going through some serious stuff. And it was weird uh, communication throughout the whole process. And then it's just like, boom, there's like, no, nah, I don't really give a shit. No, nah, it's just the way they are. I get it. It's a business, but yeah. 
<clears throat> so then it was just tough where you're trying to get other fights. And it was just kind of like the only things that were, you know, for a while they were getting offered were just weird two week notices, the, the, the jump in. And, and I was worried about going through a whole camp with my knee, you know, and I'm just coming out the knee. So it's kind of like feeling this weird. And then finally I'm like, listen, all right. I moved up to Minnesota. I'm like, I, I just need to fight. Now, now it's time to just find a fight, get in there and let's see, let's see how, see how I feel. Is the coming back from injury more mental than it is physical? Yeah, I mean, it's even the training's a little bit mental about it, but really, I'm not really worried about any of the injuries, you know, uh-huh. injuries or anything like that. It's just more, I just got to get in there. I've been out for so long, and where it's like, I'm in the spot, like two years, I'm like, shit, do I get a job? Do I start like doing these other things? Or like, what, what exactly should I start doing? Because I, I mean, I had a plan. You know, my plan was to fight, you know, until about 35, 36 or what so, and uh, then start, you know, my own gym down. I can't, I can't come up here and train. It's too cold. It's too cold. <laughs> but, um, come up and help once in a while, but you know, start my own place and whatnot. Uh, so I always like coaching, you know, helping people, but I knew I needed to focus on myself. So it's been a rough two years. It's been a rough two years here. You know, uh, been a wild, wild two years. Has the plan changed on how long you want to fight? I, I just love, I, I fought my whole life. You know what I mean? I, since as a kid, you know, I was, I didn't even start training until I was 21. And the reason why I started training was because I kept getting in trouble for fighting. I kept getting in trouble. I went to jail for, you know, six months. And then it's just like, um, then finally I came out and started training. Like, you know, it took me, you know, 21 years to, to be like, Hey, dumbass, get in there and start fighting. Then it, uh, took me about 31 years to, to learn to stop training. <laughs> In terms of your mindset heading into this fight with Tyler, is it is it simply of like, hey, I just gotta go out there and win, and then you know, hopefully, then obviously, you know, bigger opportunities come about. Is that just the the simple mindset of this? I mean, the, the simple mindset is like, hey, it's time to figure out the path of life. You know, it's like, what what path are you gonna what, what path are you on? You know, like, but let's figure it out. Uh, this Tyler Vogel, I don't know. I've seen a little bit about him. This guy, I think he's got some mental issues. I'm gonna tell you that. He's, he's delusional in the ask. This guy has had like five or six boxing fights or bare knuckle fights, and he keeps practicing falling down. And then he keep, you look at his Facebook. So I'm trying to find a fight, an MMA fight. I can't okay. find it. And the guy's talking on his Facebook all the time. Like he's like some world class fighter. Like he's been like eight no, but this guy's been, I don't even understand what's going on. So uh-huh. I'm not really concerned about this. But like, yes, a fight. He's going to be tough. He's going to be big. But I know what I'm capable of. I know I'm going to show up and I'm, you know, I'm coming in to, to fight. But the main focus is to, to figure out my path of life. In terms of kind of going down that social media rabbit hole, is that is that something you typically do with your opponents? No, I was trying to only, I was trying to, well, I, I don't mind talking shit. But, uh, but I was really just trying to find a, a video of his MMA fights. I can't find them. Okay. I don't, other than like a, from 2012 or something. And then, what what was I watched five six Dakota Cochran piecing him up in bare knuckle. I'm like I mean I don't know I don't know what's I have no idea what what he does even. So how do you prepare for? I mean obviously you're going to go out and do what you do, but yeah. obviously you want to have a like a baseline footprint of like hey this is what he does. Like it, there was a fighter a couple weeks ago who said to me it's like you know, we we watched all his films always came out southpaw always came out southpaw, and then all of a sudden the fight starts he's orthodox and we're like. 
whoa, whoa, where, where did this come from? Is that kind of more of like, I'm just trying to get a baseline of him and I just can't get that baseline? No, honestly, it's I fight the same style of fight every time. Really. I, I've been looking at it in recent, and I'm just like, listen, I'm a counter striker. If, if my, I, I, I throw very few strikes. I'm, I throw a straight jab across down the middle and I throw a fucking calf kick. The, the game's simple. Yeah. It's just these guys aren't good enough to stop it, so I don't know. And then I'm like, if they start winning in the striking, then I got to grapple. But if they can't win the striking, then why would I? So my game plan doesn't change ever. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if he was southpaw, it would be that would have to change things. But I, I, he's not southpaw. Um, he's just gonna be bigger. You know, he's yeah. six two, I think. Uh, be be bigger, bigger guy in there. But um, that's, I mean, that doesn't eighty five. I'm telling you, I truly believe when I say this. There's a big drop off from seventy to eighty five. So do you know if, if we're sitting here talking nine months from now, you think you're fighting eighty five as opposed to seventy? It's a possibility. It's definitely like, I'm not going to turn down fights at 85 because I'm over the stage of even cutting weight where I'm just like, I know that my skill set's there. And really the only reason why I was cutting weight early on in the career was because the skill set wasn't there. Yeah. And then I finally, now I really realized when I went to 170 was like, Hey, I was one of the smaller 70 pounders in there. Yeah. And I was just like, and then, and then I felt like I was still, you know, top 10. And, and you know, I still feel like in my heart that, I can easily go in there and compete with anyone in the top 15. Um, I see guys, I see the guys that I was coming up with at a time. I, I always felt like I, I was good matched up with them, but so 85, I, I don't think it's, uh, yeah, I, I honestly am not uh, opposed to staying at 85. What are your goals for the rest of this year? The rest of this year is well, find my path of like, just figuring out, Hey, like my fire has been gone a little bit. Like, well, like in the aspect of like, you had a plan and you felt like you were in control of everything. And then it feels like, like I, like the control was lost a little bit, like with a lot of background noise going on. Um, so there's a lot of other background noise that was happening. And so it's like, you feel like you lost this control of like, even is winning enough. That's how you don't know is winning enough. So it's like that, that weird, weird spot that I'm in where I'm just like, Hey, it's time to start moving, you know, start moving. And I'm just going to, I'm always been kind of like to go with the flow. Like that's why I've moved 20, 25 different times, you know, throughout my career from Boston down to Florida to Atlanta to Florida to, you know, all over the place. It's kind of been this thing where change is all right. You know what I mean? As long as I'm moving forward, I need to start moving forward. Yeah. You hear coaches always talk about with athletes. They say you got to block out the noise. Is that always been kind of a tough thing for you to do? No, because I, I had a, 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 a concrete goal in place. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Like it was like a thing like, hey, you have this, you know, you have this fight coming up. So now it's like you have this goal, like a big fight at these times, right? I was having these big fights. Yeah. And then you have this goal like, okay, hey, boom. Now you know you got to work on these things to get better. Then all of a sudden, listen, then I'm going through all these surgeries. I'm going through these and I'm doing like four different moves, a lot of personal drama in the background. And then it was like uh, – where, where's the path? Like, what path are you on, dumbass? You know what I mean? So I'm trying to have these self-talks myself. Like, what, what's going on? Like, you got to figure it out. And then, you know, you get in these depressions and you go through all this other stuff. And it's just time to, now I, it, it took me a while. <laughs> don't, get, don't get it wrong. It took me a while now to finally, listen, no matter what, I, I would go in the fight with like a broken leg. I wouldn't care. I'd just walk in the fight. It's, it's time to figure out where we're going. 
you mentioned about your opponent has done bare knuckle. Would you ever do bare knuckle? Yeah, for the right price. I'm not going to – for bare knuckle, I'm not going to get in there for 10000 Yeah. You know I mean? But that, I'm, I've always felt like I've mastered hitting and not getting hit. It's been my whole, my whole style kind of like where I don't take – I don't feel like I've ever really taken massive damage. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I think that – yeah, of course, I would 100% I'll do – I'll fight anybody. <laughs> Realistically, you know what I mean? This is uh, – that's just what I've done. And I love it. I do that. So that's I'm not sure if I will ever even retire fully. Mm-hmm. Because I can see myself. If you love something, granted, maybe you know you start getting older, you got to drop your level a little bit. Like, don't yeah. be a dumbass. You're not gonna. Hey, I'm not a, a. You know, I might be narcissistic in some ways, but I'm not. I'm not a dumbass. So, I'm. Uh, I would know. Like, hey, you got to lower the level. And I, I'll compete once in a while. So it's, I, I like it. You know, I, I think it gives you a different drive and whatnot. Of course, everyone's going to see your fight here on May the 6th, live on UFC Fight Pass, CES MMA 68. As always, man, I appreciate time. Of course, I love another fight on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? No, man, thank you. I appreciate it. It's my first interview back for a long time, so I was, uh, you know, that was good. And that was my conversation with Anthony Rocco Martin. I appreciate him taking some time out as he sat there at the end of the interview. This was his first interview he's done since his exit from the UFC. I know he's done a couple other interviews uh, since then. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of see what happens there. And uh, he clearly does not think the talent level at 85 is what it is at 70. So we'll see what happens with Anthony Rocco Martin going forward, of course. But uh, coming up here this week, tomorrow on Thursday, we have got week two of the 2022 PFL season. Then, of course, on Saturday, we've got UFC Vegas 53 heavyweights and featherweights. So I did a, a PFL betting preview show with my buddy pete rogers jr and i brought this question up when we look at the featherweight bracket or the fires in the featherweight for season two of the pfl who is the favorite lance palmer chris wade brennan laughlin or bubba jenkins uh i would think it's probably gonna be chris wade see i was my response was Whoever wins Palmer versus Wade, I think, is the is the favorite. I know a lot of people are going to look at Brandon Laughling. I just have concerns about his wrestling defense. Yeah. And particularly when you're going to have to defend takedowns against those other three guys. So is Bob Jenkins the favorite? I, I think Palm, the winner of Palmer Wade right now, I would yeah. say. I would say they're 1A, 1B right now. Even though 2021 was not a good year for Lance Palmer, but we all know what he can do with that wrestling ability. Movek Kabalov is not in this season because of an injury he put on Instagram that he's recovering from injury. Looks forward to come back in, in 2023. Bubba Jenkins to me ha- has the, the best matchup uh, in, in on Thursday, taking on Kyle Bokniak. Uh I mean, look, he's, he's going to try to take Kyle Bokniak to the ground. <laughs> Kyle Bokniak wants to keep that fight on the feet. He wants to make it a brawl. Bubba Jenkins. I don't think going to do that. Lawfully a nine to one betting favorite. He should win out there. Um, you know, Bruno Capozada returning as the heavyweight champion. To me, he's a favorite. He should he should roll against Stuart Austin. Uh, I mean, look, I'm you know, I'll probably see the results of PFL. Yeah, I don't think you know just because of I have other things going on Thursday night. Um, I might have it on the phone, but uh, you know, I, I've got my attention in other places as well. Yeah, I mean, it's the NFL draft. I mean, I'll for sure watch it the day after. 
Look, I think Lance Palmer, Chris Wade is a very interesting fight because there's a lot on the line for, for Lance Palmer. I mean, he hasn't got his hand raised in two years. This is a guy who, before the 2021 tournament, would probably go down as one of the best fighters the PFL or Royal Street the fighting had ever had. Well, this you, is a, a big-time fight for him because Chris Wade is one of the favorites to win this tournament, and for him to try and prove himself against one of the favorites is just a tough, tough task for him. Well, if you remember, the narrative going into 2021 season with Lance Palmer is the fact of, just like Kayla Harrison, his contract expired. So, it, look, if he would have gone out there and, and rolled through you know, and, and finished 4-0, who knows if he's in the PFL at this point? You know, Even though his fighting style is not... Um, Should I be nice? Should I be he's nice? He's boring. He's boring. It's, it's, uh, it's, he's not, it's not fan-friendly. Yes. More people are probably more interested in a Brandon London fight than a Lance Palmer fight. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I do think his resume would have been good enough to, like, make up for the fact that his fight style is, you know, like melatonin inside that octagon. But, yeah, I mean, Palmer Wade is the fight for, for the PFL, too, in terms of interest, in terms of fight quality. I mean, that Shaman Murray's fight, Boston Salmon fight, that, pretty good on the prelims. I think that's my under-the-radar fight on PFL. A really good fight. Um, I'm having a hard time, you know, picking a favorite there. Uh, Brandon Lawton, I'm always going to watch him fight. I love him so much. He won me over last year. Do you think he'll ever get past the narrative? of the guy who didn't get a UFC contract because he went for a takedown at the end of, end of a fight on the contender series? I think so. I think so because I think the PFL has done a good job of building around him. But, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. But, hey, you know, Alimale got past the narrative of beating up a soccer mom, so anything's possible. I, I wonder how many times she does interviews and that doesn't come up. I think it comes up all the time when she does interviews with, like, it probably only doesn't come up when she does interviews with MMA podcasts and MMA people. I, I feel like, like that's a thirty for thirty story. At least a short. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I've sat there and said this. You know the thirty for thirty I want to see. What's that? The two thousand eight Florida Gators. Yeah. You got Tim Tebow. You got Aaron Aaron Hernandez. You got the Pouncey Twins. You got Urban Meyer. Bro. The stories that could potentially be told with that one. I didn't realize this until the other day. Someone told me. As freshmen, Aaron Hernandez and Tim Tebow were roommates. Wow. What was that like? Yeah. Can you imagine getting Tim Tebow to talk about Aaron Hernandez? That would never happen, but that would be captivating. Yeah. That, yeah. That's a, that's a great 30 for 30, Jason. I mean, especially with Urban Meyer, the way his NFL career ended. Uh, Ooh, yeah. Oh, man. That's a that's an all that's a good one. I don't even know if people would come up with that one right away when you break up the concept of uh, of that. I would probably go with the Portland Jailblazers back in the day. You know, they had a lot of controversy, a lot of cocaine. That would be a good one. I I've mean, never they, wa- I've never watched the Mets one, but I've heard that one's really good. Oh, I, I saw that with the with yeah. Strawberry and Gooden and all that. Yeah, well, they did too. They did they did one just about Doc and Good uh, Strawberry, and then they did the one that just came out with the. Uh, about the whole team it was it was really good i liked it i liked lenny dykstra and uh you know they talked about gary carter how he didn't really fit in with the clubhouse because he was goody two shoes and everyone else was you know doing drugs 
But yeah, that was a good one. I liked it. Yeah, actually, uh, I know the Greg Norman one just came out, so I haven't had a chance to, to watch that one yet. But I mean, look from a from a skill set, Palmer Wade is probably the fight that interests me the most in terms of skill set on the PFL show. But it may not be the most exciting thing to watch. Yeah, I think if I happen to get spoiled of the result, I might not even watch it. But I think you're looking at basically everything else on that PFO card as something that you could watch, right? Like you would anticipate that the Bruno Stewart Austin fight is a finish. You would think that's six points for Bruno Capelozzo. Uh, Hennon Ferreira and Jamil Jones also possibly a finish. And then I think Brandon Lonane will probably get a finish against Ryoji Kudo. So, yeah, I think, you know. PFL, the first night out, it was a success in terms of the entertainment product. I think that'll continue. I mean, I think it's clear for the PFL, the season is really going to get going next week when they got Kayla Harrison on the card. So uh, we got the UFC on Saturday night. Great main event between Marlon Vera and and Rob Font. I I mentioned this uh, on a, a video that's over on the Odd Shopper. YouTube channel, the fact of I would not be surprised we see Rob Font go for a takedown and try to make this fight the ground. Andre Lasky has a chance to win four fights in a row in the main event. Yeah, man. I, I don't know if he's going to do it, though. Jake Collier is pretty damn good, you know, for a, for a middleweight fighting a heavyweight. Think about this. The last time Andre Lasky won four fights in a row. His champion? 2015. Oh, when wow. he won six in a row. Is that in the UFC? Uh, four of them were in the UFC, two outside of the UFC. So he had a, a win against Mike Kyle at WSOF 5 in 2013. Then he had a win at Fight Nights. Then it was a split decision win against Brendan Schaub, knockout win against Bigfoot Silva, and TKO versus Travis Brown, then decision win against Frank Mir. The, the Travis Brown win is the last time Andre Arlovsky has won via finish. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see a finish here against Collier. That's amazing. And, you know, the Andre Arlovsky story is amazing because this is a guy who I think a lot of people, myself included, thought should have retired before 2015. When he went on that run, when he got knocked out by fatal or an affliction, it was a series of brutal knockouts for Arlovsky that made you think this dude's jaw is just glass. And but, he, he should call it a day. Like, I will say this. I'm not, if you want to do a two fighter parlay and I'm not big on parlaying prop bets, but if I was going to do a two prop bet parlay, it would be Andre Orlovsky wins via decision, which as a, I'm looking on DraftKings Sportsbook, that is plus 130. The other one that I would throw in here is also a fire to win by decision. And that would be Christoph Jocko. So uh, if both those guys won via decision, your parlay is plus 544. Wow, that's a good one. I mean, Jocko's really talented. He's he's real technical. Mearsharp might just, yeah, he's boring. Uh, <laughs> I, I love how you basically, like, there, there's death, taxes, and certain fighters winning via decision. Yeah. Christoph yeah. Jocko's one of those guys. Yeah, Mearsharp does have the grappling, though. But, oh, no, um, yeah. If Mitch Sharks go pull it off, he, he wins by submission. The but, last yeah. time Christoph Jocko won via finish. It's in Poland. 2016 in the UFC against Tandem McCrory. Oh, my gosh. The barn cat. Prior to that was 2012. Wow. That's a that's a nice parlay dude, bet dude. suggestion by you. He has 23 
pro wins. 16 via decision. And that's because so many of the guys he fought early on were probably bums, I would assume. He started his career with three straight decision wins. Then he rolled off one, two, three, four. Five of his next six wins were via TKO. And then after that, it was all the all TKO KO. I mean, all decisions. Jeez. Jeez, Louise. Dude, look at these odds for Alexander Romanoff against Chase Sherman. He's a 2,000 favorite. So I saw somewhere someone put on Facebook, I guess on one sports book, he's, he's as high as a 23 to 1 favorite. That's amazing. It's almost like they should just do a triple threat match between Romanov, Collier, and Arlovsky because Chase Sherman shouldn't be in the octagon with Alexander Romanov. I mean, if a guy is that big of a favorite, put the damn dude on the main card, right? Like, Romanoff and Sherman, put that in place of Jacko Mearshart. Like, I know that maybe it's because this fight was a replacement fight. I mean, excuse well, me. Well, they, yeah. they were supposed to fight last week, and then there was a, uh, a was it medical reason why they, they pulled the fight at the last minute. Um, yeah. I mean, look, you know, if you're Chase Sherman, you, you, you've got to keep the fight on the feet. Have to keep the fight on the feet, you know. And we'll ask Chase Sherman pretty much every fight. But, you know, look, Romanoff should roll right through him. Yeah. Yeah. But I think uh, I think if you're watching this card, you're watching it for two reasons. I think one is Marlon Vera, Rob Font. Mm-hmm. Those two guys are just freaking awesome. You know, I think Font deserves to be the favorite. He's probably the pick. And then I think Grant Dawson, Jared Gordon's a great fight, too. That That's an interesting one. I'm glad you mentioned that one. Obviously, uh, one of the storylines of Grant Dawson is he has moved down to South Florida and now training at American Top Team there in Coconut Creek. Uh, it, the one thing that Grant tends to get off to very hot starts, and, man, he fades in that third round. And that's where I think Jared Gordon could potentially take over. I think if you're looking to place a, a wager and you're looking for an underdog, Jared Gordon may be one of the more interesting underdogs on this card. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what you can get your odds on for a a third-round finish for Jared Gordon. That'd probably get you something. Jared Gordon wins round three plus 2,200. Wow. Yeah, that would be be something if you hit on that. Yeah, it's that to me is one one of the better fights on this card. Also, Andre Feely, Joe Anderson, Brito, probably pretty damn entertaining too. I mean, Feely's... uh, Definitely got a lot more experience in the UFC and is better fire, but what those? I mean, Feely's always a fun dude to watch scrap. But I mean, you you mentioned about the reason to watch Saturday night's UFC card is because of the main event of Rob Font and Marlon Vera. I mean, the one thing is, I do believe the five rounds benefits Marlon Vera a lot, even though he hasn't been in a five round fight. He's a guy that typically is a slow starter, and he starts to come on in you know that late you know mid late second round into that third round. It you know I was thinking about. A couple of months ago with Calvin Cater, Pete G. Chikaze, where he utilized grappling to take away the stand-up ability of Giga Chikaze. And I just wonder, will Tyson Shardy, will that be part of his game plan for Rob Font of saying, you know what, hey, we know you're you're a great boxer, but we think we got a big advantage if you take this thing to the ground. I think that has to be a part of the equation just because offensively, that's where he's that's where Cheeto's game is, man. I mean, thinking back to that front kick knockout with the picture heard around the world over Frankie Edgar, 
Cheeto's a very dangerous striker. He's obviously a good grappler too, but when you look at the talent and you compare and contrast the different skill sets, that's where the biggest gap is. We've seen the ability to do that. I think that will continue here. I mean, I think that's why Font has to be the pick. But Vera is scrappy as hell, and he thrives in the underdog role consistently. He will win. I mean, look at the, you know, don't forget the fight against O'Malley. He's a, he's a hell of a fighter. And this is a, this is that opportunity that Cheeto Vera has been looking for to, to crack that top five. So I'm looking forward. I do like Rob Font to win in the main event. Um, definitely is a re I'm, I won't be able to watch these fights live. As I mentioned, I'll be going to a WWE house show. Yeah. yeah I, I, f- I feel like, you know, I mean, I'm not driving. So, um, yeah, some daddy soda. I, I think you know what that means. Yeah. Jason's going to put down some brews. I, I don't, I feel like I just need to have my phone out. And what kind of crazy things will these fans say? Because I think we're sitting on the floor somewhere. Wow. So I'm just kind of, what, what would maybe some of the crazy things from fans might say? I don't know, man. All I know is last time I went to a WWE house show, Jeff Hardy got fired. So, you know, I was at the house show where he was acting erratically and started walking to the crowd. That was, uh, <laughs> that, was the, that was the show I was at. So who knows what you'll see. I'm telling you, the one thing I love about going to regional MMA is is what will fans say? Yeah, you can you can get quality entertainment just by sitting in the stands. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're gonna see some craziness. I mean, you're gonna see adult males with championship belts, about, people dressed up like John Cena. By the way, what? please tell me you saw the Instagram video of the Island Boys hitting the mitts. No, I didn't. Were they impressive? Are they going to be on the next season of the Ultimate Fighter? Bro, so bad. <laughs> So bad. And I'm like, they're going to get a celebrity boxing fight. Yeah. Yeah. They totally are. They totally are. People pay a lot. Of, people hate those guys. Like they cut they their were, hair. They cut their hair. But man, oh God. Why do I feel like one of them's trying to fight Logan Paul? That is, that is dangerous. That is dangerous based on what you've told me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're trying to, they're trying to fight the Paul brothers. Oh man, yeah. It, I'll, I'll have to find the clip on Instagram, and it is, bro, it is amazing. Remind you, of like what Chuck Liddell had in the midst ahead of the Tito Ortiz fight? No, bro. Like, like you, if you think of the worst people just hitting mitts, this is what you would think of. Okay, I just found the clip. Let me let me see if this is uh. Yeah, this is. I'm going to uh, DM it to you on Instagram. Let's see. Let's see what we got here. <laughs> and just get your immediate reaction to what this may be. Let's see. Oh, God. There's no way this is real. <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> if people, if thought. people have not seen that, just search Island Boys on Instagram. You'll find their 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 IG profile and have some fun. Yeah. Why do I think the Island Boys are gonna have a like a a real fight? Like it's gonna happen. I hate the world sometimes. I I hate to say this, an Island Boys. Boxing match on ESPN will outdraw anything the PFL will do. You're not wrong. (laughs) 
Like they could literally probably do a YouTube pay-per-view five dollars and make a crap ton of money. Yeah, I mean people pay a lot of money to watch those two dudes get the hell beat out of them. Dude, the you remember the girl catch me outside girl? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the news of her this week? What happened? So she's I guess about I guess she's just turned nineteen. You know, she uh-huh. so she went on OnlyFans when she turned eighteen. Uh-huh. She made $52 million on a year on OnlyFans. We're in the wrong line of work. <laughs> Holy crap. That's that's insane. That's insane. 52 mil? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the number I saw. Unbelievable, Jason. Dude, yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy, bro. It's, it's crazy how much money you can make on the internet, man. What are we doing wrong? <laughs> By the way, speaking of people cashing in, uh, Ben Rothwell signs with BKFC. Talked about uh, if he wins like three or four fights, he th- he can make seven figures. Wow, I don't know where that money's coming from, <sighs> dude. Someone someone asked me the other day about that. They're like, "How is this? How is BKFC paying all these guys?" I have no idea. That's that that doesn't sound real. That doesn't you know that doesn't make any sense to me. But all the power to him, right? Like he's. He's been around a very long time, and to, to make seven figures possibly for Ben Rothwell, would be a lot of UFC fighters would be incredibly jealous. Uh, by the way, Catch Me Outside girl said uh, she's made fifty million dollars. I'm sorry, I was off by two million. Wow, bro, wow. fifty million. That's crazy. She went from the Dr. Phil show to being one of the most wealthiest Americans on the planet. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, it, you know. I would love the real number on like what a page fan Zant makes outside of MMA, BKFC and wrestling. Yeah. She probably makes a whole crap load. She probably does, bro. Oh, I'm sure she does. Yeah. Damn. Damn. I got, I got to get to work on my own account. <laughs> yeah. But by, by the way, one of the, the better things I've seen on, on a uh, combat sports social media over the past couple of weeks yeah. Did you see the stare down between Mike Richmond and David Rickles prior to the BKFC fight a couple weeks ago? <laughs> no, what happened? Uh, you know, so, you, you know, Rickles comes out like the stone cold tire has two beers, gives one to Mike Richmond. And they both chug it uh, after they did a stare down <laughs> after they weigh in. Yeah. Before their fight. That's a, that's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, Mike Richmond is uh, hoping to get a matchup against Tiago Alves in BKFC. David's going to go into the Bare Knuckle Boxing Hall of Fame. Dude, Bare Knuckles like run events like two or three times a month. Uh, maybe they're just making money off ticket sales in a big way, bro. You know, they, maybe they got their promotion down pat on how to get people in the building. Yeah, I just I, I wonder how much can they constantly keep paying these guys crazy money. Yeah, man. Some dudes are just good at getting money out of people for sponsors and crap like that. You know, some people are real hustlers. I'm, I'm trying to hustle over here. I'm trying to hustle. Yeah. But yeah. by the way, uh, I went out with the fellas on Saturday afternoon, did a, uh-huh. little, uh, did a little day drinking. Yeah. Walked right into a bar to see Tyson Fury knock out. Uh, Dillian White. Yeah. Yeah. And then the most awkward post-fight interview we've seen in a long time. Yeah. Did you know what a, what was it? What do you call it? A Corey? No, I didn't. I, yeah, I was completely unaware. It's not the way we talk in the valley. <laughs> and just the look that Francis gives him is like, yeah, 
What are you talking about, bro? Yeah. Yeah, Tyson sometimes is just on another planet. I just like, as much as Tyson Fury says he's retiring, he ain't retiring, bro. No, I don't believe There that is person. too much money sitting on the table. Especially if Joshua you know, wins his upcoming matchup. He's got that potential payday. A poten- I mean, potential payday against Francis. Like, why would you retire, bro? Yeah, guys retire, and then two months later, they uh, change their mind. You know, yeah, there's there's no way he doesn't fight another top-level boxer again. He's he's taking that Joshua fight for sure. If he gets past uh, Usyk. That's true, which might not happen. But so, like, I, I just wonder, like, how, mu- how much of an appetite is there for a Tyson Fury, Francis, and Ganu fight? I think there's a pretty big appetite. I really do. I mean, I think if that fight gets signed, there's some special rules, et cetera, people will, will 100% be all in on this one. It will, it will get it. To, it obviously won't be Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. You know, uh, nothing will, but I do think the casual fan gets interested in that fight. What's the price point, though, that would get you to buy it? I mean, I would, I would buy it for $60. I would. I don't think you it's know. 60 I think it's at least... $74. Yeah, I, yeah. I was thinking bare minimum $69.99. Yeah, I mean, I would buy it for like the price of a normal pay-per-view. I really would. I mean, what would happen? Like, we kind of know what would happen. Tyson Fury would probably win pretty easily. But does he toy? Would, would he toy with him? I think that's the question mark. I think I think he, he might. But it would be definitely different than the way Floyd toyed with Connor. Yeah. He just fights a completely different style. Yeah, it's it's crazy, but yeah, that was that post fight interview, and uh, God, the poor the poor guy doing the interview. Yeah, it's like what the hell just happened. Yeah, but he he probably knew what he was getting himself into in his interview in Tyson Fury. I mean, he just goes off the rails all the time. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we need a Tyson Fury Danny Sabatello post fight interview. I feel that I feel bad for whoever's in charge of the bleep button. <laughs> yeah, that thing better be on pay per view. Yeah, that's for sure. Or else you're getting off TV. You're getting put off the air. Yeah, no question about it. But that is going to do it for this week's edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Appreciate everyone taking time out of their day to download and listen to this episode. Of course, uh, new episodes come out uh, typically every Wednesday, but sometimes it may come out on Monday. Sometimes it may come out on Tuesday, just depending on what me and Daniel's schedule does look like. But we do appreciate everyone taking time out to download and listen to this episode. So this has been the MMA Report Podcast, which comes out on your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com. <laughs>